1: G'day, this is Better Make It Quick. This is the quick midweek version of Better Than Yesterday, which is a weekly conversation or multi-weekly conversation that's here to help make your day today better than yesterday. Something you hear on this show and every show will do just that. I've been here since 2013. My name is Oshi Ginsberg. I'm a podcaster, author, TV host, dad, stepdad, person who hustles a lot because I chose a freaking career in an industry that is undergoing massive institutional change. So I'm trying to create work out of nothing. Um, and I also love having conversations with people far, far smaller. Smarter than me about stuff that I'm really interested in. And this particular one was a freaking cracker. This is a small version of a longer episode. You can go back and find it if you like. But this is a quick taste of my conversation in March of 2022 with Dr. Anika Molesworth. I haven't stopped thinking about what she and I spoke about. Anika grew up in Melbourne. When she was 12, her parents moved from their house to a property 1,000 kilometres away from Melbourne. And that said, Anika on a path, a path that now includes having a a PhD in agroecology. Anika works very hard to educate not only the wider population, but specifically farmers about climate change, food security, so much more. So Anika moved from, she was still a kid, when their family moved to their farm in 1999. Their local environment changed quite rapidly after they got there. I was interested to know how
2: the year 2000 was the start of the millennium drought the 10-year long drought here in australia and that impacted you know much of the country especially the far west region of new south wales you know we were very badly hit by this drought time And over the seasons, over the years, I watched the water evaporate from the dams, the vegetation blow away in the dust storms. We trucked off the sheep that we had purchased, you know, selling them to ease the grazing pressure on the land. I saw, you know, the mental toll it was taking on people around me, people becoming stressed and agitated. And a drought doesn't have, you know... A defined end point. You don't actually know if it's going to end next week or in five years' time. And so there is that sort of growing angst um, and concern. And as a farmer, you feel a great sense of responsibility, like you are a caretaker for this parcel of of land. You are looking after the welfare of your animals. You are, you know, part of the backbone of your, your community. And when you sort of see that break apart, it really does, you know, take a toll on you at a very personal level. Uh, So watching that occur around me, you know, had a really big impact on me.
1: What was it like watching your parents, these people who with such great love of country and love of nature, witness you know, they'd taken their family to this utopian place and, and witnessed this kind of dream they had just kind of falling to bits. What was it like? Because I'm sure their experience is very similar to some of your neighbours. I call them neighbours. You probably can't walk there. Um, <laughs> what was that? You know, I'm sure that this experience is probably very similar to people in your community. What was it like watching your parents go through that?
2: Well, you know, as a, a kid, I think I didn't quite grasp the concept of what drought was at that time. Like, yeah it's drying out around me but I didn't quite understand that the gravity and the magnitude of it until you know seasons rolled into years and I was like gosh like this is actually really bad and this is really impacting um, you know the family the business the whole community the whole region and you know you do carry that concern as a kid too and especially someone like myself who like loves animals so much loves being outdoors and the emus disappeared, the kangaroos vanished. I would go for walks in the paddock and it was silent, like there were no birds anymore. And you really start to question, like, what is going on around you?
1: That that sounds
2: spooky. Yeah, it was. It was really eerie. So you have this, you know, this unknown, um, you know, event that you can't quite comprehend what's going on around you. And then also like you're experiencing things like dust storms and dust storms are these, you know, giant monsters of sand that you see like coming on the horizon. You know, the the horizon turns this, this rust color, then this deep burgundy, and then they just roll and become larger and larger, you know, reaching right up to the skies and completely engulf you in your house. And, you know, in the really bad ones, it would turn day to night and you couldn't go outside. And you feel very, very insignificant. You know, there's obviously as a kid, you're like, oh, my God, like what's going on? There's an air of excitement, too. But you know that this is a bad event occurring around you and you have to sit and wait it out.
1: And from what I understand, like that's that's like topsoil and a lot of the stuff that we need to produce nutritious food that allows us to get through our day just vanishing
2: absolutely so that topsoil is a very thin and fragile you know membrane of life it stores the carbon the nutrients the seed bank and when that is whipped up and blown away sometimes you know thousands of kilometers away all the way to sydney or melbourne you're losing that precious layer of nutrient and layer of life. And you know that is taking, it's having real damage on your land.
1: During the millennium drought, many, many people who lived in the city, myself included, my only connection with the drought and the effect of that drought was an increase in the cost of groceries. Suddenly, bananas are more expensive, lettuce is hard to find. Food security is inextricably linked to climate change. Having all the varieties of food in your supermarket, is dependent on reliable weather. Extreme weather destroys crops. Floods destroy potato fields, as we saw in Victoria earlier this year. Combating climate change will lead to more food security and more affordable fresh produce. That is a fact. But it seems there's a disconnect between that fact and people's ability to actually understand it.
2: Oh, absolutely. You think of like climate environment over here in one little sphere. You think of like food and what's on your plate over here. Um, you know, farming is something else. It's like, no, this is one in the same system. And what we do, how we interact at any of these touch points has a flow and effect, either positive or negative. But we somehow have like, yeah, lost that understanding that this is a very interconnected complex system. And therefore, the way we interact with it and our responsibility to act, you know, appropriately is going to either, you know, make the system or break the system. (laughs)
1: <laughs> to act appropriately is what I'd like to get to at the end of this conversation uh, but let's at what point uh, you were still a teenager uh, when this is all going on you're so you are in your mid-teens you're in your you know your fifth year of drought you're possibly still going oh, I still want to take over this farm um at what point did you start to go yeah maybe this is not just weather. Maybe this is something bigger. What else is going on here? When did you start to first explore the idea of permanent changes to the weather patterns and and global warming?
2: Well, my dad um, borrowed from the old video store Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth. The classic. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Um, Those beautiful Friday evenings of walking around the aisles, choosing which video to... (laughs) Borrow for the All weekend. right,
1: everybody gets a dollar weekly and you all need you to, to agree on one year release. No fighting. We're out of here in three minutes or no pizza. <laughs> oh, that's it. Nailed it. Um,
2: <laughs> and, yeah, my dad, you know, borrowed an inconvenient truth and I couldn't believe it and, you know, put that on for our Friday night movie. And, you know, I complained and whinged a lot thinking, gosh, I don't want to watch a film about the weather. How incredibly boring. But as I sat there and watched it, it was like the dots were connecting in my mind. You know, okay, so we people are, you know, extracting um, fossil fuels from the ground, we're burning them, we're putting dangerous uh, emissions into the atmosphere, this is destabilising the climate, this is causing more frequent and intense droughts, floods, bushfires, that's having very real impact on communities, on the economy, and the story just clicked for me. And I went, wow, okay, this is climate change. And then I was able to walk out into the paddock and see, you know, the drought, feel the heat waves, see the dust storms and go, I get it now. Like, I understand that the way that we humans are interacting with the planet is, you know, actually contributing to these problems that we are experiencing. We are the problem makers here. But then on the flip side of that, it means that we're the problem solvers and we need to fix this.
1: And, and for, I guess, uh, uh, the argument against uh, for meaningful climate action has been for the last 20-something years, and we won't get into who drives it or who makes money off of promoting this, but it is like you can't have both. You can't have modern life and... A way of living that doesn't impact so harmfully make your choice because it's one or the other and i don't want to live without my whatever all right but that's not the case is it at all
2: it's not at all yes unfortunately there are a lot of misleading toxic narratives out there which corral people to think and act in certain ways and they make us fear the future. They make us worry about transitioning to something else. They talk about sacrifices, job losses, damage to the economy. And it is terribly dangerous. They, they are terribly dangerous words and thoughts, I believe, because it encourages the continuation of what we're doing, the status quo, and it encourages very poor behaviour and interactions with our planet. And that is putting us directly on a path of danger. So we need to absolutely, you know, challenge that narrative, put out better ideas, thoughts, commentary about this topic, and do it in a truthful manner. It is saying, yes, the the evidence shows us that it is bad, that we are at a point of crisis and we need to observe the science but not then bury our heads in the sand or hide under the dune or in fetal position and go, You know, someone else should do something about this. It's actually stepping forward and go, well, we all need to do something about this, every individual, every sector, and we can do something about it. And when we do these things, these abundance of solutions that are actually within our reach, within our grasp, there is a flow of positive benefit that actually (laughs) we receive from it. And so, you know, putting it in that positive narrative makes people go, oh, okay, yeah, we can do this and we should do this.
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey.
1: Anika Molesworth has a PhD in agroecosystems, so I wanted to know when I spoke with her, how important are our food choices when it comes to climate action?
2: So important, so important, and especially when people go, oh, the climate problem is, it's so big, so complex, I don't even know where to begin. Like, begin with your food. Begin when you open up that fridge door or you walk down the supermarket aisle. Like what you put on your plate, how you consume it, how you waste it does have a very real impact on the whole food system and obviously the climate system, which is very much interlinked in that. So by selecting food, which is local, seasonal, nutrient dense, native foods, generally plant based foods, they are climate smart foods. By avoiding foods that have been flown in from the other side of the planet and wrapped in styrofoam and plastics, that reduces our carbon footprint. And also by, you know, spending appropriately, by fairly compensating the farmer, you give them the financial resources to manage that land in the best way possible. So they can destock, you know, remove livestock when the drought is really bad. They can put out you know, new irrigation infrastructure, so they're using less water to water their crops. Um, that gives them the financial resources to make improvements that we need in the farming system. And also, how we waste our food in Australia is ridiculous. Like, I think we throw out one in four supermarket bags of food, and if food waste was a country, it would be the third largest emitter. That is ridiculous. So just the the simple fact of finishing your meal and not scraping half of it into the bin goes a long way in helping to solve this problem
1: the tricky question the uh, the the actual elephant in the corner of the room is the atmospheric impact of of livestock not the let's not even the ethics of it like cows and sheep and pigs they fart, and methane is not good news um, when it comes to meat in our diets and the raising of animals uh what do you see is the is the future for not only people who've got generations of their families raising these animals and you know how they may move forward to a more sustainable way or you know people who have deep family traditions in this is the meal that mum makes Um, how might that move forward in this you know now we kind of we can't ignore it. It's a fact. Um, how might we move forward from that?
2: Yeah, well, I guess two things um, in, in that comment. That you know, going back to what we were speaking about earlier, we do generally have you know the the knowledge and the technologies to get on top of the climate problem. Now it is more of a, a cultural, structural, and political issue. And culture, as you say, the way that we have produced food over generations. Most, a lot of farms are multi-generational businesses. They have been passed down from their parents, their grandparents, and so the way that food has been produced is rather deeply embedded into rural communities. There's also, obviously, um, although this is improving over time, but rural people are geographically isolated there far away from you know the research institutes that are coming up with new innovations new understanding and we have to do a lot better of actually getting good information out here in the rural areas to make sure that they are you know keeping on top of the 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 science understanding what ways they can adapt and change their farming businesses and as a society making sure they have the financial resources to be able to do that Going back to the methane emissions from livestock, so ruminant animals, sheep, cattle, goats, they produce methane, they burp methane as part of their gut digestion process. There is a lot of research being done in this field of how do we reduce methane from livestock, and that can be through better genetics, it can be through feed supplements, such as feeding a small part of um, small portion of algae to ruminants, reduces the methane being emitted. Uh, and actually, Meat and Livestock Australia has an incredible ambitious target of being carbon neutral by 2030. And when I look across the farming sector, again, this is why I'm so proud to be part of the agricultural sector. It has some of the most ambitious climate targets in place across all the different sectors. And the farming community is absolutely striding in this space because we live and work so closely with the natural world. We understand that it's changing. These places are our homes. They're our businesses. They are our culture. They are our past and our future. And that's why I'm so interested in looking after them and looking after the landscapes as well as the animals that are in our care under our responsibility. So there is a lot of need for further investment into research, development, extension, so farmers have the capacity to amplify and expand their efforts that are already being done. But farmers obviously can't do this alone too. You know, changes in the agricultural sector are more slow-paced and more difficult because you are working with crops, you are working with seasons, you are working with animals. And that's why we absolutely need to be expanding the conversation to such as the energy and the transport sector and make sure they are pulling their weight because it is a lot easier and a lot quicker to cut emissions from other sectors than it is from agriculture.
1: If you want to hear the full conversation, and I thoroughly recommend it, scroll on back to episode 422 from earlier in the year. Anika Molesworth is on Instagram, and we're heading into a time of year when there's lots of food, uh, abundance of food. Have a think about what we eat, how much we eat. Do your best not to waste it. I'm giving you permission. Eat all the things. Don't put it in the bin. Some farmer worked real hard, got a lot of water to get that lettuce on your table. Get it in your tummy. Thanks for being a part of it. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks to Bree Steele, who produced this episode, Andy Marr on post-production, Rachel Barrett, the executive producer, and, uh, of course, Toe Hider on the music. you legend. Good luck. Look after yourself. Be a couple days ahead of us. Keep breathing. You'll be fine.
0: Have a catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well?